I mean, I have had the experience of watching a celebrity sign a book that I wrote, which was a strange sort of out of body experience. And a one, and a two, and a one, two, three, and welcome to We Can't Print This. It's a podcast telling the story you don't know behind the story you do. My name is Eden Dawn. And my name is Fiona McCann. Each week we interview a writer of some kind about the stories behind their stories. And if you like our podcast, do us a favor and just send it to a friend that you think would like it. That's very helpful to a small podcast. And you can support us on Patreon if you want for as little as $5 a month at patreon.com forward slash we can't print this. Yes. And don't send it to a friend who you think won't like it. No, don't do that. That's a terrible idea. Also, get a new friend. <laughs> well, this week we talked to Emily Chenoweth, who is the author of the acclaimed novel, Hello, Goodbye. And also, interestingly, she's a ghostwriter of numerous best-selling novels, and we can't even tell you which ones, and has co-written over a dozen books with James Patterson. You might have heard of him, Eden. Mm-hmm. I definitely have. She's also the co-author of the Claude Evil Alien Cat middle grade series with Johnny Marciano and was once the fiction editor at Publishers Weekly. One of the things I found the most fascinating that Emily talks to us about this week is the freedom that comes with being able to write without your name slash ego attached to a thing. Eek. We're not used to that, Eden. No, we're not used to it. There was one time I did that where I was hired by a big national city guide brand to write under their very prescriptive, somewhat dry style and write their shopping guide. And as you know, as a beat reporter, most of my career here has been very much developing relationships with people, making sure what I write, I stand behind. Super embedded in the community. Super embedded in the community. That's what being a beat reporter is. It has to be. And then to have this one time where I was just like anonymous. And just wrote the thing and didn't worry about it. and Like the Bridgerton lady, the a, poison pen. <laughs> a little bit. But it wasn't poison. It was still nice. But I've only had that one experience and it was quite free. Now, my ego probably prevents me from writing that way all of the time. But I, I do think it was interesting. Did it change your writing? Do you think? <sighs> well, like I, I feel like they are more boring than I am. <laughs> Yeah, so, once the Eden Dawn name is on it, it's got to have pizzazz. It's got to have pizzazz, shenanigans, rascals, all of it. But this one was uh, just dry and straightforward. And there, you know, that's a good writing exercise. But what about you? Because you write so many reviews for people, which I feel like is... Kind um, of the opposite, yeah, in a the way. Opposite. It's my name is on something that feels like there's an incredible responsibility attached. So it's definitely feels like the opposite of freedom in the yeah. sense that I really feel very accountable for what I write. I mean, I've done reviews of books, albums, movies, albums, yeah. podcasts, not just to whoever the creator is. And that's a big deal because you know they're going to be combing every sentence. I mean, yeah, true, probably, I hope, but also to the reader, there's a responsibility there for too. Sure. And it's something I feel like you have to weigh a lot. And I I'm very, very conscious of that and sort of the eth ethical impetus behind what I write and how it's a lot to, it's a lot to weigh. It is the opposite of freedom for sure. What about, would you ever be a ghostwriter? Ooh, would I be a ghostwriter? In some ways I see the draw of 
the freedom that you just mentioned, right? You don't have your name on it. You can write whatever you want. You don't have to pretend to be one thing and another. You don't want to have to like double down on being Miss Fun Personality. You don't have to worry about a brand, like yeah. being within, you know, the, the McCann style. Yeah, or intellectual or this or that. You can just do whatever you want, which sounds incredibly freeing, uh-huh. um, but also kind of difficult because I want control. <laughs> yeah. I like to have control over what I write and what if my employer has opinions about it or wants to change something that I don't agree with that would be difficult for me yeah although I'm you're used to it to an extent with editing but not when that person is like has the ultimate say and then you don't even you do all this work and you don't even get your name on it that's true you can always fight back with an editor but perhaps you can't with a client in the same way no I mean it would be a strange strange circumstance. I suppose in a way it'd be an amazing writing exercise and I do see the freedom in it, but also, holy moly, it's an awful lot of work for no credit. I know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe I'd be awful at it. Maybe I'd be good. Maybe this is our opportunity to combine our skills, start our own poison pen name and just do a line of romance novels. Yes, Eden Domican. Oh no, pen name. That's a terrible pen name. I think that'd be yeah. kind of obvious. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll work on that. We'll work on that. In the meantime... On to Emily. On to Emily. Don't you love Bessie and Aya? You know I do. And in fact, anyone who knows me knows that I spend 99.999% of my life in their earrings and have not one, not two, but three of their signature bridge-inspired cuffs. And it's all designed and made here in Portland. I've been writing about and wearing Betsy and Aya's Ready to Wear collection since they started in 2008. And I love it. And now they also make gorgeous fine jewelry, including custom pieces like the Leo Constellation wedding rings Betsy designed for my husband and I. It's gorgeous. And now you can support both our podcast and this rad family business by shopping with them through our special fancy link, BetsyAndIa.com forward slash we can print this use that special url to automatically get 11 percent off your order of ready to wear but do not sleep on that fine jewelry either because it is good emily what exactly is a ghostwriter because i feel like there are iterations of ghostwriting that i don't fully understand like sometimes it seems to me that it's somebody whose name is not on a book sometimes their name is a little bit on a book what is it yeah So true ghostwriting would be that your name is nowhere on the book or maybe very small in the acknowledgements. You take it to the grave. Yes, exactly. And co-writing means that you have your name on the cover, although it will be smaller than whatever famous person you are working with. So tell us about your relationship with the man, the myth, the legend, (laughs) James Patterson. Yeah, so I am one of James Patterson's co-writers, and I've been doing it since 2012. And it's been an incredible writing job, and it's a very collaborative process, and we work closely together on a series. It's been 13 or 14 books or something like that. That's wild. In 11 years? She's very prolific. You just mentioned co-writing. Co-writing, his name is Big Bonanza on the book, and then your name is on there as well. Or is it your name? It is actually a pseudonym, but I chose it because I was coming out of actual ghostwriting where I was writing under a bunch of pseudonyms, and so I just thought that's what you did. In retrospect, I have some regrets about that since it became so much my writing career was working with James Patterson And so it's a little bit funny that 
I don't have my name on them at all. And if I could go back in time, I might change that. Could you do it now? Just add add Chenoweth at the end? Like, I think like it would you look married weird. Yeah, like you got married. <laughs> <laughs> like that Sex in the City episode where she marries herself and registers for her own shoes. It's exactly that scenario. It is exactly, <laughs> clearly. But what is the pen name on the James Patterson book? It's Emily Raymond. And Raymond is the last name of my partner, John Raymond, and my our children. So, so. you want to do the opposite of get married. You want to... Unmarry. Unmarry your non-married <laughs> partner. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take back my maiden name, the only name I'm, I'll ever have. Uh, yeah. Well, you had all the options in the world. Like you could have made up Fantasia Petricor. Well, right. I could, I could have. And, but the thing is, I was, I was proud of writing for James Patterson. And I wanted to be discoverable as such in a way. And I wanted also, I was never going to take the last name of Raymond. And I felt strange not sharing a name with my children. And so I thought if I called myself Emily Raymond, it was a bond with them. Oh, that's sweet. And also it sounds good. Emily Raymond sounds good. Emily Chenoweth sounds good. Two great names made great together. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a slogan for something else. Put it on the book. It's a blurb for you, babe. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. (laughs) But so it's, so it's James Patterson and Emily Raymond and his name is big on it because he's the name that matters. Like he is the brand. He is the genius behind, I don't even know how many books. And clearly you enjoy this relationship because you've been doing it for many years together. I love it. I'm grateful for it every single day of my life. It's been amazing. So there's no part of you that's like, I wish it was my book and mine was the name in big writing on it. No, I don't think so because I love writing those books with him. But if I were writing a book by myself alone, it wouldn't be like that in that same way. Like he's a much more commercial writer. I am a more literary writer. She just did means it's, air quotes. I did our air quotes. I mean, like my stuff's a little more boring. Uh, the chapters would be longer. The sentences more beautiful in theory, in theory. In theory. But you said you came to Patterson from doing ghostwriting, many years of ghostwriting, and tell us how that experience morphed over time. Because it feels like you are kind of saying you hit a bit of a jackpot where you have this great relationship with somebody you found. But I feel like that might not always be the case in the ghostwriting world. Or maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, it's not. I mean, I it's sort of I had sort of two ghostwriting paths in a way. And I can tell you the one that brought me to Patterson. And then if we're interested, <laughs> I can tell oh, you we're more interested. about the other one. We're interested. So because I had written my own book, which was this semi-autobiographical work of literary fiction. Beautiful that, sentences. That, that Really pretty sentences. It was very well reviewed. You know, 15 people bought it. They were all related to me. Bestseller. Uh, it was, yeah, total bestseller. Um, but because I had written that book, an agent who was not my agent had read it and I guess knew I did some of this some ghost had done some ghostwriting work before. And so the editor of the book that I had just ghostwritten obviously knew Patterson's editor. And so when Patterson was looking for a new co-writer, those editors started talking and then they called me and they said, Hey, would you be interested in trying out? Patterson has this young adult project that he wants to do with someone. He's looking for a new person to work with. Can you submit 
four sample chapters and see if you guys might be good to work together. Four sample chapters? That's an, wow. an audition. Yes. That's an audition. Did you wet your pants when you got that call? Because you were like James Patterson? I did, basically, yeah. It yeah. was... I. I didn't understand how life-changing it would be, but I knew that it would be life-changing. And so I worked so insanely hard on those four chapters. And I knew, as a writer, you're, you know, you're full of self-doubt all the time, but I knew as I was polishing those four chapters that it was going well. And I was fairly confident that I was going to get it. Mm. And I did. And so we worked together on that first book. And can you tell us what working together is is like? Without yeah. going into too much detail about how the sausage is made, I will say that it is a really collaborative process. And then when we're working on a book together, we talk every two weeks about where it is and where it's going and how it looks and all on of the that phone. stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I actually think that's kind of nice because when you're working on a project with someone, as somebody who has written a book in the same home, with the person <laughs> that's perhaps too much time of being able to talk about the book together and not enough time to go actually make anything and then come back together. And so I like the idea of having a couple of weeks to be like, let me go do some of my stuff. Let me Absorb get a chunk. what we last said. And yeah. get like a chunk done. So I come back to the table and I'm like, here's some stuff I did. And now let's like talk about this thing. So, I, mean, I totally, yeah. yeah, I agree. And it, But the reason it started that way is because I was also via my other channel of ghostwriting, I was ghostwriting a series of books for um, a celebrity who's different than the personality. I know it's confusing because I can't say any names, but um, yeah, I was already they... under contract to be ghostwriting this other novel when I got the Patterson gig. And so I had to write two novels in nine months or something oh like that. And God. so... Yeah, so, take that novelist. <laughs> that was hard. I haven't... I, ha I was going to say I haven't had to work that hard since, but that's not true. But so I would spend one week working on the novel that I was ghostwriting, and then I would spend the next week working on the novel with James Patterson. And so that's how it became that sort of every two weeks thing. Mm -hmm. And then, and then just, we just sort of stuck with that schedule. So he, he calls or you call him or what? Do you always take James Patterson's calls over everybody else? Yes, when James Patterson calls, you have to answer. It does not matter where you are. Once I was dyeing my hair and he called. And, <laughs> you know, it was like the dye is supposed to stay on for 40 minutes. This was minute 38. And I see his name on my phone. Oh, and I'm no. like, this gotta isn't going to be good, but I got to pick it up. So As your I, roots go purple. Yeah. So my hair was a little weird that time. You just take it whenever it comes. I like that you guys feel like a little bit of an unlikely duo. You're like cross country, different age bracket. And all I'm saying is two words. And those two words are buddy comedy. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, I mean, it's funny. Now, now maybe we could. I mean, I have such affection for him. I really, really do love the man. Although, you know, our relationship is just professional. I mean, we chat, you know, but I mean, it took a long time to come to that place. I was terrified of him for the first, I don't know, eight years of working with him. I mean, he's a big Not, deal. I mean, that's the thing. He's a really, really big deal. And, and it's a good job. And like, it's, it's a, hard to find uh, really good jobs as a writer. And this is a good job. It's not. It's the best job. I mean, it's amazing. So, yeah, you never want to screw it up. 
Well, now that you have swum in the good fortunes and we've heard about this, please let's talk about slumming it. Tell us some stories because I feel as if it could not have been this perfect all of this time. What about the celebrities you co-wrote for? How does that feel? You know, that was actually a really pleasant process and that was more pure ghostwriting. So it wasn't like that collaborative. And so I can't, I can't say that that was, that was like, is that where they basically say, I want to write a book book about this. And then you go off and you go, here's the book and they go, great. Is it that? Yes, it is basically like that. And then you, so you, you? yeah, (laughs) it's really it. They don't have anything to do it so because I mean they'll read it they'll comment on it great they'll read it (laughs) I don't look I'm sure there are plenty of baseball players who never read their memoirs you know or whatever not not to diss on baseball players but yeah there are many people who haven't writing is hard why would you ever do it if you could pay someone else to do it for you Prince Harry recently hired a ghostwriter and we know it wasn't he's not very ghosty because he's written a whole article in the New Yorker about it. Right, exactly. And and but in an, and Harry had wanted him to put his name on the cover and he hadn't. I'm not really sure why he didn't. But he had also written Agassiz's book and he wasn't on the cover for that. And I'm not sure how that came out. Like was that supposed to be a secret that he had worked with? I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. It's very hard to follow the intricacies of the publishing world. I don't know, but th- that was that New Yorker article was interesting because it had cuz Moringer is talking about sitting around with a table full of like other ghostwriters and he just calls them ghosts. <gasps> and he's like so yeah, us and the ghosts were just telling horse, you know, trading horror stories about ghostwriting. And I was sort of jealous. I mean, not. I'm glad I don't have any horror stories, but at least in my experience of the ghostwriting world is that you don't speak to your colleagues. You don't know that you have colleagues because like it's super secretive. I think perhaps because the ghostwriting work I've done has been novels. And so they really can just give you an idea, they being the publisher, or maybe the celebrity, can give you an idea, or they can give you an outline, but it's basically like, go off and do your thing. Whereas if it were a memoir, there'd be have to be so much conversation, so interviewing, talking yeah. to other people. So like with that, it's, it's much harder to keep that kind of a thing secret, right? right. Like novel, I could go into a, my cave and emerge and hand X celebrity their novel and if it wasn't a terrible novel they'd be like fine because I'm not getting the facts wrong there's no facts to get wrong right 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 here's the where I feel like I would have a problem with that personally is well one I'm a Leo who demands attention so I would be okay with it in theory I mean I've written plenty of copywriting for agencies or whatever where you get no you know no attaboys for you just do the job that's fine it's when I would, if I saw a celebrity that I had written a book for where they had done nothing, doing like an, a press interview about it, that's where I feel like I might start to have an emotional meltdown. Yes. I mean, I have had the experience of watching a celebrity sign a book that I wrote, which was a strange sort of out-of-body experience. I didn't you mind it. Her? No, no. I didn't, him? I didn't mind it precisely, but there was this awkward moment where my mortgage broker was in the line and he's sort of like, what are you doing lurking back behind the the (laughs) signing table? There was no world in which I could explain to him what I was doing there. Right. Um, I just love this celebrity. Because the NDAs are on pretty strict lockdown. Even though everybody knows it, right? Like I'm fairly certain that when I read the excerpt from Snooki from Jersey Shore's book that she likely did not write it. I feel, I don't know. Though I do love Snooki. Yeah, I I do. (laughs) 
Shout out for Snooki. Shout out for Snooki. Yeah. I mean, I do think, you know, you've, there are a million, a million books by celebrities and probably 99% of them are, are in fact ghostwritten. But no, my particular celebrity, I did not resent that experience at all because I had been what I felt like, you know, reasonably well compensated. It had been a pretty fun process. I was working not with a celebrity, but with an editor who I really liked. And so that was fun. There was another book for someone that was that I ghost wrote and it wasn't a celebrity. And the person did a lot of press for that and talked about her writing process. And <gasps> people be, are unbelievable. I had done a lot of talking with her. Like we had really we had worked on it together but if you're talking about who was writing the sentences it was emphatically me and so to see in print oh you know this is how I did the thing wow people are I don't, cheeky you know, well, yeah I just I just felt like well okay that's like taking it to Too a whole far. other level like you can't say, I, I don't mind someone just like silently signing a book I wrote like who cares like great you're I mean the reason people are buying this book is not because I wrote it name, they're yeah. buying you know they're buying it because yeah. they want a book you know that this celebrity that does seem it. part of the so big that's fine. machine yeah. yeah that's fine yeah. but it was this person actually speaking about her writing process and I was like <laughs> you don't know what the writing process is I love that it just this sentence which I crafted so carefully it came to me I was in the garden <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. my god people are unbelievable I wonder do they start to believe they've written the book themselves maybe they do delusion's a hell of a drug I think you do start to believe it I mean you you know because we'd done so much talking together and so much back and forth like there had been a lot of involvement. Like I can see how they think you you're start just the typist. <laughs> yeah, it, exactly. Um, right. I just, I just took her dictation, you know, which is not true, but maybe she really did believe it. But, had, but that one, that stung a little in a way that, yeah. that nothing else has stung. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I can, I can see, see that, that too. Have you had a project that was going south enough that you had to walk away from? Uh, yes. <laughs> of course you have. Tell us more, Emily. Sometimes publishers want to come up with a book concept so they can own the intellectual property. And this is something that book packagers used to do. Folks like Alloy Entertainment. Do you want to you want me to clarify? I want to know what a book packager is because okay. I want to be approached by a book packager. Hey, book packagers, I'm right here. We also want to educate and delight. Right. So, <laughs> so say it in a delightful but educational way. I will, I will do my best. Yeah. I'm not sure if book packagers are quite the huge deal that they used to be. I felt like I was coming into this world at its tail end, but then I left New York, so who knows what's happening there. But when I was in New York, um, there were book packagers like Alloy Entertainment, and they would get together. They, would, they had all these smart, young hip people and they'd get together in a room and they would come up with incredibly high concept ideas for book series and they'd outline them character arcs whole thing and then they would that would be their intellectual property they're freelancers hired in and, a writer's room no the, these are people who are actually employed they're like oh, editors they're, they're, okay. imagine it's like it's almost like a publishing house when they're editors so these people are they're a company and they the company owns the IP and then they go out and they find some like really low level writer, which was me coming out of grad school and they'll pay a pretty nominal fee to write a novel. And then they own 
all the rights to it. And so you get your 10 grand or whatever, and they reap whatever backend rewards there. Like, so they package the book, they then sell it to a publisher, they retain the, you know, film and TV rights, and then it becomes a TV series. And so they're just like, and you get no residuals, the money, no residuals, no, whatsoever. Uh, you get your 10 grand and it's like, peace out, have a nice life. Wow. Well, you are um, having a nice life, so. I am, thanks. To, <laughs> no thanks to them. Thanks to James Patterson. But that's um, interesting. I actually, I've never heard of that entirely, so, except for when it comes to the, like, Nancy Drew. Well, that's a yeah. little bit different. I mean, th- I guess that was the original book packaging in a way, but, like, think when you when you think of book packaging in the early 2000s, I want to say, that was, like, Gossip Girl, Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. Ooh, uh-huh. That was very so they were, they were big marketing huge successes. books, and they were and um, Vampire Diaries. Okay. So these were really enormous projects. Whereas like the Nancy Drew, Hardy Boys kind of ghostwriting stuff, that was that was a big deal, but it wasn't, I mean, I guess I didn't have TV series back then. So yeah, there, there was less money to be made. I guess. That's so fascinating though. People come in, they come up with what they think is a really strong commercial idea. They have the outline and then somebody else has to go write them. I'm so, Oh, yes, that's exactly. The room I want to be but in it's, now. It's a well. That's I mean that seems hard um, because it the idea isn't always as good as you think it is. The writer might not be as good as you think they are. Right. I mean that's actually how I first got into the ghostwriting gig is that somebody had I believe it was a book packager had come up with this concept for a series and they had the first two series had come out and they'd been ghostwritten by the same person. They had a another person write the third, it wasn't that good. And so I was hired to do what we were talking about earlier, a voice rewrite, which means you're handed a manuscript. The editor says, this is no good. Can you make it better? And so a voice rewrite can be just kind of punching up dialogue and cutting and whatever, or it can be almost a whole scale rewrite, which is what I ended up doing on this first one. Because it was so bad. It was pretty bad. Um, And sometimes it's just easier to start anew than it is to... It's true. To try and clean up somebody else's Right. But the thing is, the major publishers saw that Alloy Entertainment and book packagers were doing this cool thing where they got to own the intellectual property rights and could make more money. So the publishers want to have their own IPs too. So they get their editors together who have so many other jobs as well. Like, And they're trying to come up with ideas. So I was briefly, well, it wasn't brief, but... (laughs) It actually felt like my whole lifetime. An editor at a major publishing house, they said, we have this IP. It's a locked room. It's like an Agatha Christie style thing. You've got a bunch love of people it. in a room. Read all of them. That's, you love that. Bad, I do. I bad love Bad stuff it. happens. And I was, I felt really proud of myself because I was like, okay, this is, sounds like a pretty cool idea. Your fee's too low. You're going to need to up it. I, I think I got them to at least double my rate, maybe yes. even more. Just me. Good neg- for you. And I don't like to Take ask for anything. So I was feeling like really, really powerful. And then I get this, the the IP, and I just cannot figure out how to turn it into a book. Because it's so bad. Wait, because well, it's did not they give you an just, outline? What, what? I did not really have an outline, no. I was just given a concept. I was given a location. I was given a sort of... Lead character. Large idea. Yeah, a couple characters. Okay a sense of a past crime and, uh, and, and, and the sort of all of this coming to head at one particular party. 
So that's the sort of locked room. As they all party. do. You have right. to have all of the suspects <sighs> and the murderer in one room. Exactly. That is the crux I'm of the I'm all in story. already on this book, I it, have to tell I you. I mean, I have to say, I thought it was a brilliant idea. They had a beautiful cover. Like, it, it sounded so good, but when it came to breaking it down and making it actually, like, work as a novel, I really, really couldn't do it. And I sent what I had sort of come up with as my suggested outline to like a mystery writer who was like, dude, I don't know how you're going to make this work like this. I don't get like, I mean, I really talked to a lot of people and it came to the point where I was miserable. I mean, I couldn't do this thing. Mm. I, I would wake up thinking about it. I would go to bed thinking about it. I was having actual panic attacks. And at this point, I, (laughs) this is the embarrassing part. I, Consulted what we would call an intuitive. Oh, yes, yes. Don't you be embarrassed about that. I mean, I'm not really, because I actually think she's amazing. She basically tells you things that you know but can't acknowledge. She's not a true psychic. She's not a future caster. She's not going to be like, yeah, you're going to fall down and break your leg tomorrow or whatever. She'll just be like, here's what I see. And she sort of listens to guides, and she'll say the guides say this. So she said to me, the guides are just saying shit, shit, <laughs> shit. Uh, oh. The guides say shit. You would never think the guides would speak exactly. Like that. Well, right. And so she said, she said, so you can do this project. It won't kill you, but the, the just, guides say shit. The guides aren't into it, and and that gave me the strength to tell this editor, I'm not. I can't do it. You have to find somebody else. Because did you say, did you say? The guys don't like it, babe. No, you said. No, I didn't. The ghostwriter consulted the ghosts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the ghosts said no. <laughs> but it's funny. I remind. I spoke to the intuitive again not that long ago, and I remind. I was like, "Oh, do you remember when the guide said shit, shit, shit?" And she said, "The guides don't speak like that." And I said, "They did." She's they like, did. "Wow, they really had a really strong opinion." But it's. But I really. I mean, I do credit her for like preserving my sanity because I think I really was on the brink of a nervous breakdown because. The whole beauty of being a co-writer or a ghostwriter or whatever is that the idea comes from somebody else and your job is to do a beautiful job for your employer. That's what I like to do. (laughs) For me to be faced with a blank page where any single thought of mine could go onto it is a recipe for like self-doubt, self-loathing and like nap time. But, you know, when the sort of guiding force and the ideas and the outlines and the, all these things come from elsewhere, I just have to do a really good job of filling in the blanks. That's so different, I feel like, from so many writers who it's, it's, it seems so easy for you to put your ego aside yeah. and be like, this is fine. I'm just going to be a jobbing writer. I am going to be your soldier and I don't need to be the general. But, but not I everybody's that. like that. Like, that's the thing. Like, the ego is only going to mess me up. I'm only just going to hate myself or doubt myself or whatever and just to to write under a name that's not really mine to have to be working on intellectual property that is not mine is relaxing I, I'm I am a good writer and when I do if I do say so myself <laughs> and so you what are I'm doing a good writer <laughs> I say so too thank you if I'm doing something for someone else I just that, I, that's all that matters like I'm aware of that like I can do a good job for my boss but what I are you wanna... doing for your ego because everyone has an ego I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm just, I'm really highly evolved. Um, (laughs) no, I think I feel good because I, I like, I'm writing these, 
cool thing. Like I'm just proud of your work. You take pride in your work. I do. I take a lot of pride in my work. And Mm -hmm. you know, when I hand it, you know, when the first draft of, you know, goes off to the publisher, like it's not my thing. I don't have to market it. I don't have to flog it on Facebook or whatever. Like I get to do the best part of writing, which is writing. Yeah. I don't have to ever worry about anything else like I'm being asked to be on a podcast or something well as you can tell that's these things aren't that fun for me Stop <laughs> I'm it. not that good at it so no it's just it's best for me to be in the shadows and you know every once in a while I'm like yeah maybe you should get your light out from under the bushel but I like being under the bushel like but all of this all stemmed all the way back from like your very first book yes I mean Working with James Patterson came from that first book, but I was doing some, you know, more anonymous, low-level ghostwriting of those sort of teen novels before that. And that came out of, I guess, being in New York City and knowing people in the publishing industry, working at Publishers Weekly, and just being part of the writing world. Like, if someone figures you're halfway intelligent and they can pay you 10 grand to write a novel, like, that's pretty exciting, you know? Yeah, for, them. for them, for them, <laughs> for them. <laughs> and yes, it, and it is pretty exciting for you when you're at that age too. Like it's kind of, it feels very exciting. I mean, 10 grand, which is obviously nothing, but at the same time, it feels like somebody's going to be paying me 10 grand to write a novel. I'd be all in. Yeah. I remember, oh yeah. I remember getting paid $15,000 to do a, to write a novel based on a screenplay. And that felt like a really big deal because I had so much, sum. I had so much to work with as well. Yes. You know, I you, used you to pull. read those when I was young all the time. Like the the book Hook based on remember with Robin Williams oh, and God, yeah, um sure. yeah. Oh, Anyways, like yeah. I read the book version. Mm-hmm. Um but I feel like I often read the the book version of the movie. Um I, I think that comes back to a thing we talk about on the show a lot, which is trying to find a community of writers and just being around because that Ghosts. does happen. But the fact that you are operating in those worlds and getting to meet people and those opportunities arise. But I, I am curious if you have as it's something we know nothing about, any advice for people who might be pursuing that world of ghostwriting. And if you don't, that's fine based yeah. on the face you just gave me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, you know, the thing is I had already produced, my main career came out of like actually publishing a novel so I think it's a matter of producing the stuff and if people will find you. But I, you know, I don't know how, I don't know if book packagers are operating in the way they, that they used to, just coming up with stuff and snapping up recent MFA grads in the way that they were. Um, I mean, does Sweet Valley High still exist? Because that was certainly a thing that like numerous Columbia graduates did. I didn't do that. I um, met a Sweet Valley High writer. Did you? Yeah. Yeah at a party not that long ago. And mm-hmm. I was like, you're very cool. <laughs> in my mind, you're very cool. I guess the advice that I would have to people who want to be in any sort of industry, writing or in otherwise, is that you have to go where the heat of it is. And so I went to grad school in New York City and I ran a reading series where everyone who had a book out would come and read. And so I met the person who would become my agent there. I met the person who would later become my editor there. I met a million writers and it just felt like this, it was writing adjacent at that point. Like I wasn't actually doing a lot of writing on my own because I, I don't know what I was doing in grad school, but not writing. (laughs) I was not writing. Um, I know what you were doing, but we can't say that on the podcast. (laughs) I don't think you do. (laughs) 
I think I was doing a lot of napping. Uh, no, that's what oh, we were going to say. They, we yeah, share right, an office right, with you. We know, we know about your napping. <laughs> and that's not even a euphemism, listeners. I just want you to know that. <laughs> I believe just in napping. a person who likes to sleep. Um, yeah. So what happened was through just being in New York and being involved in the publishing industry, someone had asked me to um, write an essay about breaking up with my best friend, there was the time of the book packagers. There was also the time of anthologies. Like there were all yeah. kinds of anthologies of a bunch of different writers writing about one topic, like the bitch in the house and the bastard on the couch were companion sort of husband, wife things. And this was an anthology called the friend who got away. And they were asking all women it turned out to write about best friend breakups. And so I wrote about breaking up with my best friend in college and she wrote about me and we were sort of the, turned out to be the sort of centerpiece of this anthology. And this anthology happened to come across the desk of the head of Random House, who knew me because of the reading series that I was co-running. And he called me up and he said, this is a fantastic essay. If you can write me a book proposal, I will endeavor to purchase this book. And so that is exactly what happened. And That's I sold cool. my first book on proposal based on this essay that I had written. I don't think that happens anymore. I don't think you can, I don't think an unknown writer can sell a book, uh, sell a, a literary novel on proposal. And, and you know, that I'm not saying that that worked out really well for Random House, <laughs> but it was good for me. Yay. It does seem unlikely. A thing you do that I really like, which I think is great for writers who are not maybe living in a big city hub, or maybe even aren't particularly looking for it to be full career, but they want to be involved in writing is Emily puts out these lovely writing prompts through yes, your Substack. That's and, huge. And I think it's such a it's such a small but nice way to participate in community because it's like, here, you want to write? It's hard to come up with things to write with and just do it. Sometimes I have even done like a literary journal will have like a prompt um for like you can submit your essays here and I will just try to write the essay. And Without not submitting. submitting it. Nice. Just because I'm like, oh, okay, yes, good. Oh, that's an idea. Write about that thing. It, it's the thought exercise that makes me feel alive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it does stretch you as a writer too. I feel like your props make me do something I wouldn't necessarily do. I don't believe that you do them, but thank you for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking you in the eye, Emily. I didn't, I didn't claim to do them. Right, I right. just like that they exist. Well, right. I mean, I did one. Okay. Well, that's good. That's good. That's probably better than But I was taught about others. I, I look at the Substack as sort of like a, a service to the writing community. Like here I am. I'm a full-time professional working writer. And here is my process. Here is me occasionally whining about it. And here are some ways that you could approach your writing if you are so inclined. Um, and again, like, I mean, my job is often writing from prompts, you know, in a way, yeah. like I'll get some 70 page outline from James Patterson and then, okay, what am I going to do to flesh this out? So in a way I, that's sort of my professional life. And, but I like writing these little essays and thinking about my writing process and offering people chances to, sort of engage with their own process, whatever that might look like. And I do actually think that like just thinking about answering the prompt or answering the question that the prompt asks is interesting and valid. Has value. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah because it, it just makes you have to start churning those hamster wheels in your brain. Yeah. Do you know what the guides say about your substack? Great, great, great. They That's don't they say, say it's shit. 
They, they don't, don't say, say that. Shit. They rarely say that. That was special case. It was a special case. <laughs> it was a special. If the guides say it's shit, walk away. Walk Imagine away. the guides after that. They're like, God, they really had to resort to language there. But I think we got through. <laughs> Thank you, Emily, for you. coming to join us today. Thank you. Yeah, you're a delight. You can sign up for her Substack, including those writing prompts at writingisagoodidea.substack.com. That's it from We Can't Print This for today. See more info about this episode, including transcripts and links to things we talked about at WeCan'tPrintThis.com and check out all our socials at We Can't Print This. Thank you to our producer, Miranda Schaefer, and to Dave Depper for our intro music. This podcast was recorded at the Rogers Block in Portland. And a big thanks to our third office mate, Rachel Ritchie. Happy Pride! We love you, Rachel. We love you so much. And your sweet wife. And... If you are a writer with a great behind-the-story story, write to us at wecanprintthis at gmail.com. Kisses, bitches. <laughs>